Welcome to the Truth About College Admission podcast. My name is Rick Clark. I'm one of your co-hosts. I am the AVP and Executive Director of Admission at Georgia Tech, joined by my friend and colleague, Brennan Barnard. Brennan, good morning. Good morning. And I'm Brennan Barnard. I'm the Director of College Counseling at the Khan Lab School. This was episode three for us, and we had the opportunity to talk with Maya Walker from Agnes Scott, and I think you're really going to enjoy hearing this conversation. Brennan, one thing that Rachel Hernandez mentioned in our conversation with her as she was talking about questions that parents can be asking of students and students' excitement about applying to colleges was this idea around belonging. And that's really why we wanted to bring Maya in because she just does such a great job of giving students things to think about, parents things to think about. And, you know, I hope as folks listen today and, you know, something I pulled out of that conversation was this idea where she centers on this idea of you can succeed at a lot of places, but there's a limited number of places where you might truly thrive. And I really loved the way that she framed that because one thing that we're always focused on is as people are visiting, as they're listening to admission counselors talk, what does it really mean for me to be excited about this place and choosing a place where, yeah, maybe I can be academically successful, but like I'm really going to find my people, feel like I belong and be very truly engaged so that I can, you know, maximize that college experience. So, you know, that was something I pulled out of the conversation. How about you? Yeah, no, I I loved that. Another thing she really talked about was some great advice for kind of the role of parents in this experience. And that sometimes parents get this message that they should be held at kind of arm's length. And the truth is that parents, she really shared that they have a lot of wisdom to be shared Mm -hmm. and that they should be celebrated as advocates in this process and that students should be independent, but that parents can be kind of, she called it gap fillers. They can step in at the right time. I hope you listen for that. And this is a great conversation with Maya. Yeah, Maya is amazing. And, you know, she and I are both here at Atlanta Colleges and the mayor of Atlanta is a Georgia Tech grad and worked at Georgia Tech for a while. And one thing he used to say is this idea of shifting from parent to partner. And he really focused a lot on that. And so I think you're right. And you just went through this with your own son. I mean, it's it's a challenge being a parent and trying to guide and coach students. And so, as you said, She really does a phenomenal job, and we think you're going to really enjoy this one. Well, let's get into it. Today, we have a colleague and friend, Maya Walker, who is the Director of Admissions at Agnes Scott. And Maya, it's so good to have you with us. Thanks for your time. Yeah, it's exciting to be here to chat and be with fellow Atlanta peeps. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And we've known each other through your time at Emory. And now um, more recently, you've shifted over to Agnes Scott. So before we launch into it, can you just tell us a little bit about Agnes Scott in general and also some of the work that you're doing there? Yeah, for sure. Hi, everyone listening. As Rick said, I'm Maya Walker, Director of Admission at Agnes Scott College, located right outside of downtown or midtown Atlanta in Decatur, Georgia. We are a gender-inclusive women's college, and we are four your private institution. We have about a thousand students on our campus and we have been around since 1889. So we've been kind of holding down the Decatur area for a long time. I think what draws students to Agnes Scott is our curriculum. We have a 
curriculum named Summit, which is a four-year professional success, global learning, leadership development curriculum that really focuses on your community here at Agnes, but then the postgraduate opportunities through career internships and co-ops and traveling abroad, even in your first year, um, thanks to our donors. We're an immersive experience, residential, and we really value student government, clubs and organizations, D3 athletics. So we kind of have our own world here in Atlanta in the Decatur neighborhood. Our historic presence, I think, is very much embedded in the Atlanta community and in the history of the city. That's great. And uh, as you may know, I ride my bike right past Agnes Scott every day. So I wave to you and uh, thinking about you all the time. But we're here to talk a little bit about a article, actually, that you were recently featured in. And, and I know Brennan has some questions for you about that. Yeah, my the article was in the Inside Higher Education and was about how to and how not to recruit minority students. And it was based on a presentation that you were part of out at our national conference that was in Houston this year. And Rick and I both read it and just immediately said, well, we got to have my on. <laughs> we have to talk to her about this because you talked a lot both in the presentation and were quoted in the article about this sense of belonging. And that really resonated. And we're hoping that you could maybe talk a little bit about belonging and what that may look like for students. How can students get a sense of whether they might belong when they're considering college? Sure. So I'm going to kind of take two folds of it because I think that as a Black woman experiencing this process for 10 years as a higher education professional and then thinking about my own process are like light years apart, night and day. And the concept of belonging truthfully never even crossed my own mind entering into this process, going through college, and then even leaving. The only concept of belonging that I even thought about is really what that looks like having attended a women's college. So I am a women's college graduate as well. And I think belonging means something different in that community than it does sometimes in a traditional or what is seemingly traditional college or university environment. So I think what became apparent to to me as I entered into this profession was the lack of BIPOC. And when we say BIPOC, we say Black, Indigenous, people of color, faculty and staff that I had, not even just during college, but just during my K through 12 experience too. It started to become apparent to me how many leadership positions I led on my campus that there weren't as many Black, BIPOC, Latinx community members in these positions, or that we didn't even have enough on our campus to be in these positions, right? And the pressures that it also put on me to kind of represent my community in these larger conversations. And so once I started to really think about what all that meant and kind of how that affected me during my time in undergrad, um, then once I got into this profession, I just started to realize what that does for students when they are in a classroom with someone who looks like them or experiences life like them and just how belonging becomes this experience of resource and not just visual identity, right? Like if I know that I'm Black and my professor's Black, there's a level of comfortability that now happens in the classroom that maybe I haven't traditionally felt. And because I didn't know that feeling naturally always, I didn't know what that looked like until having worked in the profession. And so really my commentary during the natural BIPOC recruitment strategies and selective admission presentation was there's been this charge since the social unrest of 2020 
George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, which there's been social unrest for a long time. And there's been communities calling for belonging in predominantly white or historically white spaces. But really, we saw that in 2020 because we were all at home and we were forced to kind of see it on TV every single day in the lockdown. You know, universities calling for we need more representation. We need to start really pulling down these barriers for BIPOC students to make sure they can be in our communities. But then the other side of that is if you bring them there, how do you ensure that they graduate? What kind of systems are in place? What kind of resources are in place to support them with their social life, with their emotional and mental health, with their financial well-being, with their academic life, right? And a lot of that is putting faculty in those spaces, connecting them to current students, making sure that their clubs and organizations are represented. And that's even just down to Greek life, making sure the Divine Nine is there or that there's Hispanic or Latinx fraternities and sororities available. Like it just became a larger conversation of just bringing people to campus and more so if we bring them what they happens to them. And I think that's the concept behind belonging is it's not just there is a space for you. It's there is a trajectory and pathway for you to also complete. It's interesting how often lately I feel like this term is being used, this word of belonging is being used. And I almost feel like it's, I'm not going to say it's replacing the idea of fit and match, but I feel like there is an opportunity for us as professionals to talk differently about what that means for students when they're coming onto our campuses. And since it's the fall right now and seniors are largely applying to colleges, but they're still doing their homework and researching and trying to figure out where to apply. What would you say are a couple of the things that they might be looking Looking for as it relates to, is this a good place for me? So, you know, let's take the fit and match side out of it and stick on this belonging concept. You know, if you're talking with students and parents, what do you tell them about how do they identify that? Or what questions should they be asking to figure out, like, is this a good fit, match, place where I can belong for me? Right. I think the first thing I always tell students and their advocates is you really need to sit down and decide what is most important to you and really just decide if we're talking about in a BIPOC sense, culturally, what's important to you, socially, what's important to you, and then personally, just what matters to you. And so I'll give you an example of myself. I come from a family that is majority undergraduate college educated, but then there's a section of us that are in the divine nine that are Greek. And so that in high school was really important to me. But when I really got down to the process and when I made my list of what mattered, it didn't fall as high as I thought it was going to. It kind of became one of those experiences where culturally I felt like I needed to be a part of that, but it wasn't going to make or break if my college community had it. And I essentially chose a community that did not have it. And then I would have had to, if I chose to go that path pledge at another university, at a neighboring university and go through all that. And so I say all that to say that culturally, that was very important to me. But when it came personally, my biggest things were my major. I wanted a place that had really great opportunities within my major. I wanted a strong student government because I knew that mattered to Mm -hmm. me. Those are things that were personal. And so I think we have to consider that no university is perfect. Everyone is trying to create an environment that is as welcoming as possible, but there are certain spaces that are just not going to be uh, appealing to you. And that's okay, right? Like being honest about that and not just selling ourselves a dream to make it work. I think thriving is a word that doesn't get enough press in our industry, but it should. I tell students all the time, you really can't 
can succeed anywhere. If we put the pedal to the metal and we really put in the effort, I really do believe students can succeed anywhere, but I don't think they can thrive everywhere. Mm -hmm. And I think that became evident to me. Like I always say, no one wakes up and says, oh, I'm going to go to a women's college. It really doesn't work like that. It really becomes a place where you're like, I can thrive here. They have the resources and elements to support me in the way that I need to. I can see myself leaving here and I'm going to be who I want to be. And I think that matters the most. So just leading with that conversation. But I think that there's other challenges that I don't think people give enough depth to when we talk about society. Like we say, like access and resources, but we don't really talk about the inequity of access and resources, right? And this concept of underrepresented, undersupported, and under-resourced. Those are not all the same and they don't all apply to all students and challenging those misconceptions, whereas a student can be underrepresented in a space, but not under-resourced. Like that can coexist in the same space. And then also geographic challenges. There's fear that comes with relocating, you know, especially when we think about us being Atlanta universities. I'm sure, Rick, you hear this a lot with the South, right? Like what does that look like? And I think for a BIPOC student from the Northeast, that's a completely different engagement with an Atlanta Mm -hmm. university than a BIPOC student from South Carolina. And so Mm -hmm. those are the things that I challenge students to think about more. It's not just, oh, I don't want to go to the South, but why? Where have you been told? How can I present facts to you to help you mitigate that fear of what you think? And some of this stuff is not wrong. It doesn't mean that there's not a space for you and this community where you can thrive, if that makes sense. Yeah. And how uh, both on and off campus, you can feel like you can thrive and you feel like you will belong and you feel like you'll be safe and the political environment and the cultural environment and everything is one that you feel comfortable in. Mm -hmm. Right. That's Mm -hmm. really important. I'm thinking about, you know, some of the parents who are listening and you talked in the article, your references as speaking to this and in the presentation speaking to this. So all parents have questions as we're raising our kids mm. of where are those boundaries and lines? How do we support them? How do we make sure that they know that we are for them and that we love them and that we want to help? But then also, how can we be coaching them in a way where they're ready for college and independence and being proactive and all of this kind of thing. So thinking about your work at Emory and Agnes Scott and just for the parents listening, what are some of those sort of either anecdotes or tips or insight that you can provide that would help parents to say, okay, here's how I can be involved without driving the process per se? And what does that kind of look like, either wrong or right? Examples from either side are are welcome. But I think it'd be interesting to kind of just get your perspective as parents, especially at this time of year, are working with their students, whether it be on applications, whether it be on visiting schools, whether it be on ultimately making a selection. You know, what do you have to say to parents in that regard? Yeah, that's a great question. As I'm just thinking, I used to say, (laughs) they're the pilot, you're the co-pilot, let them lead this process. And I do still believe that. I always tell students, this is your party, we're all just invited. And I still believe that. But I do think that now having done this for almost over a decade, I feel like that there is a lot of space for advocacy. And I think there is a space for parents to 
advocate for their children in this process. And really, when I say advocates, I'm thinking legal guardians or whoever is supporting the student through this process. I do think there's an element of independence that should come from going through the college application process. But I do think that there's an area of wisdom that parents come with that is not always celebrated. And I just, to be honest, going through this pandemic, I think the parents held us down in this, really, truly. I don't know how our students would have found us in some way if their parents weren't still being a catalyst Mm. in conversation or, hey, you need to reach out to your admission counselor or sometimes leading that conversation saying, hey, I'm trying to teach my child how important it is to have a connection with you because they're not going to meet you. And so can you converse? And years ago, I would have kind of gotten on to the parent and been like, no, you need to let them leave this. But Mm -hmm. I think there were so many students that were going to fall through the gaps if their parents didn't or their advocates didn't step in and say, hey, Miss Walker, we need you. Mm -hmm. I think that that's where parents need to be is the gap fillers, right? Like, oh, I see my child. I see this student getting ready to fall through. Let me go ahead and just initiate this connection. I think a student can still learn independence from that experience. I think what they learn is sometimes we got to help each other and sometimes we got to push each other forward when we feel like we're getting lost. And I think that that's my advice to parents is that you know your child well. And so when you see this getting ready to happen, it's okay for you to step in. There's mm-hmm. certain parts of this process though, that they need to leave, like their interviews. They need to be in their own voice in those interviews. They need to be in their own voice with those essays. That's not your place, mm-hmm. but your place is being an advocate for them and making sure that we are held accountable for interacting with them and making sure we see them in the best way possible. And I don't think I would have had that advice prior to the pandemic. That's so important. It's really a spectrum, right? It's not this either or, and it's where you fall on the spectrum of parenting at any given time of the experience. It's it's constantly changing. So, hey, Maya, thanks for coming to our party. (laughs) (laughs) And thanks for being such a great advocate for students and families and for our profession. We really appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was so great to be here and be a resource and everyone keep the faith. We're doing the work. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Maya. A huge thanks to Maya Walker from Agnes Scott College for joining us today on episode three of the Truth About College Admission podcast, which is brought to you by Johns Hopkins Press. The press provides global access and delivers impact through publishing and distributing innovative ideas and scholarship. Johns Hopkins Press connects people to the most trusted knowledge from global researchers, scholars, and educators. To learn more about the work and publications, go to Press. Dot jhu.edu. We appreciate you listening. We hope you have a great week, and we'll be back soon with another episode.